Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> what a wonderful way to bring in the praise of the Lord. Have the Holy Spirit in our midst. Isn't it wonderful? And haven't we gotten a great, wonderful amount of teaching out of what is the battlefield of the mind? And isn't it just fabulous to know that this wonderful tool that the Lord has given us is the winning sword in the battle all the time, in every way. Well, last week we got into being God-minded. And understand this, that I'm probably the most unqualified person in the world to, to be honored in this presence behind this pulpit, um, because I'm new to being God-minded, uh, born in... in obviously in flesh and in his image, but newly awakened. Because in the process of life, I have lived every possible angle of the secular life after a godly mother said, son, you're going to go to Christian school and you're going to learn what, the, what Jesus is all about from birth and then I'm going to walk away. And for a whole lifetime, trying to figure out exactly what was fed to me from birth in another way. And finding out the idols of this world were nothing compared to the wonderfulness of the realm and arms of Jesus. That is what being God-minded is all about. And the reassurance that it gives us, knowing that these scriptures are the keys to life and the bloodline that we can have in every possible manner of our life. That's the, that's the great thing that Joyce has been hitting on in this book, you know, because that's truly where the battle comes from. You know, we are supposed to give up our love, our minds, our souls, our strength to our God. No idol in this earth, no person... He came that he should bring a sword to separate us from everyone and everything and follow him alone. That's the whole purpose of us being here is to give him the praise and glory just like we just opened up the service with. And that praise and glory needs to exude from us each and every day because his mercies and his love renews every day so it can renew us in the same fashion. So let's open this up with a little prayer and let's get into some serious word tonight. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the time that we can come in the middle of the week to rejuvenate our souls and to understand that we are not helpless in the battle that is going on around us all the time. It is a fight within us that we know we can win because we have you inside of us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. You said you would be with us until the end of the age, and that age is coming, Lord, and we thank you for your presence within us each and every day, and we can fight the good fight, run the race that you set before us, and know that we are victorious because we know the end of the story. We trust in you with all of our might, and we know that we submit ourselves to you, that you will make our path straight, and we can ask for nothing else but to have you with us and to know your love. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, last week we started on the Christ-centered mind, chapter 15, 
in the book that will not stay open, no matter how hard I try. Okay. And the first thing we want to try to review as being Christ-centered is understanding that he needs to be the central organizer of our thought life. So we need to fill ourselves up with as much as we possibly can all the time and be able to share that because that's what we learn to do is we need to share. We're, we're taught from birth to be selfish. Mine, 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 mine. You know, we, whoever has kids here understand that principle, you know, raising them from little. We didn't teach them how to be bad or selfish or anything else. We're trying to learn as they're adults that they finally come around, hopefully. But we can only give as much as we take in. So being able to share these things is what it's all about. And for who has known or understood the mind, the counsels and purposes of the Lord, so as to guide and instruct him and give him knowledge. But we have the mind of Christ. And if the Bible tells us that we have the mind of Christ, then we can trust in that. And we can believe that with all of our hearts because whosoever believes is what the key word is for all of us. That belief, that faith, that trust is what needs to be in each and every one of us all the time so we can be the salt and light. So we can go forth and share the gospel. That's what that faith, that belief, that strength needs to come from. So... As Christians, like in the first answer here, as Christians, we have a new nature. Okay, now where does that new nature come from? Well, as we see in our word that 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 tells us the basis of where this really comes from. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, he is a new creation a new creature, all together. So if we're new creatures, now we've already went, of course, over this, but if we are brand new, and this newness can happen every day to someone new or to us, because we are faulty, we live in a faulty world, we fail all the time, but he is always reaching out his hand, and he stands next to the Father in arbitration for us. He stands in the middle between us and the Father and says, you are forgiven as long as we repent and are quick to repent. We can be brand new each and every day. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. And how did this happen? Well, as we go on, but all things are from God because he created us, he put us here on this earth for this exact time, and this is how we know that all this is true and factual, because we know that every bit of this happened, and it was written under the inspiration of God, because all scripture is inspired by God. So as Paul was writing this to the Corinthians, he said, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself? He was reconciling the whole world into himself. He received us into favor, brought us into harmony with himself, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. And that's what we can share with everybody that even lays eyes on us, because everybody we, lays, we lay eyes on, Christ died for. So that's the, that's the importance of that ministry of reconciliation, because we are his hands and feet. And that's how we can help other people try to win this battle in the mind, because that's where Satan attacks 
Now, of course, there's always physical attacks as well, but this is where he gets us. So we need to put on our helmet of salvation to protect our head all the time and know that we can go forth with this kind of strength. That by word and deed we might aim to bring others into the harmony with him. Number 19, it was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world, not just some, all of the world to favor with himself. Some people get the idea that it was just a select few or because I believe this or because I believe that, that it's me, not you. How inclusive is our Lord? It says all. It says the world unto himself. He wasn't just picking and choosing a few, or he would have already done it 2,000 years ago. He could have done it with the snap of his finger at any time. But he says, no, he says the world favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them, committing to us the message of reconciliation. Why? Because of number 20 and 21. Because... So we are Christ's ambassadors making his appeal as it were through us because we have been given this power. And how was it done? Because of 21. For our sake he made Christ to be sin who knew no sin. He led the perfect life and then he absorbed all of our sin yesterday, today, and forever and took it into himself, and died on the cross. Canceling all of our sins. So we can live free of the knowledge of what we did before, what we did today, and what we're going to do tomorrow. That may be against what's in the word, because guess what? There were ten commandments. Have you broken them? Reach a little higher, as Jonathan said Sunday. You know, yes, I have. But if Paul, who wrote these words through the inspiration of Christ, who was a murderer, who thought he was living for Christ, who didn't know the difference until Christ knocked him off his high horse and said, why do you persecute me, Paul? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. You're not going to see for three days until you talk to Ananias. And you're going to find out exactly what your due process is going to be. So with that new nature, we have the mind of Christ. And to flow in that mind of Christ, we need to think positive thoughts. Because the positive thoughts are the godlike thoughts. Remember the 4-8 principle, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right whatever is pure, whatever is good report, those are the things that we need to think on. We've already went over that. So the more we get that down in our spirit, go ahead. That it's new every day. It was last Wednesday, wasn't it? We were talking about cisterns and then versus the fountain, or really a better word is a spring, like a spring-fed pond. You know, that water coming in that spring, it's, it's new water every time. It's not the same thing being recycled, which we could mistake if we say a fountain. It's really a spring-fed pond, and it's new, constantly new. And that, and that, that makes me happy. 
Because, well, just like he told the woman at the well, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask for springs of living water, and you would never be thirsty again. See, we need to understand that what the Word tells us on a daily basis, as long as we consume, because we have to be hungry for this, just like those prophets of old that Lord said, eat this scroll. You know, that's what we need to do each and every day so we can understand that this is the power, this is the authority, this is the truth. It never changes no matter what they say. There, there is no my truth, your truth, their truth, our truth. It's the truth. And that's why we need to stand up for it. That's why we need to understand in the deepest parts of our being that this is the mind of Christ that we've been given. He led the perfect life. We're never going to get there until we see him face to face. And thank goodness we can stare in his beautiful face and that whole world that we've stared at forever just dims. That's the most wonderful feeling we're ever going to have, folks. Because when you get that born again rush, you're going, woo, all the time. And that's what it's like. You know, you, you don't have to worry or stress or have any kind of anxiety, be anxious for nothing. But with all prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God which passes understanding will guard your minds. That's what it's all about. So, as long as we think positive thoughts and engage in positive conversations, then we are building a God-minded attitude. And that's exactly what we can share because all there's so much negativity out in the world. I mean, look what happened today. Another shooting. And in our own home state. There was a while we were coming while we were coming to, to church tonight, there was uh, another gunplay in Tulsa. At a medical facility they were shooting up people. And Uvalde was just, that's disgusting. But, you know, and, and people are so quick to blame God. How can God let this happen? Free moral agent. Exactly. So, as we... Oh, yeah. Of course, all that <laughs> reconciliation, you know. Um, well, that's exactly what that positive mindset that we need to share and need to spread everywhere we go, all the time, and as much as we can carry with us. I mean boatloads with us because we have laid down our fetters. We have laid down that old life. We need to pick up the positive pail and go start throwing it all over people. Right. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you something that I recite every day here in just a moment. Thanks for, thanks for the segue. But uh, God wants to lift you up and the devil wants to bring you down. That's the simple up-down theory that we constantly see all the time. How many likes do you get? You know? Oh, no, you got a bad report. 
you know? How many stars? Everybody's basing their whole world on that. Instead of looking to the Father for their security, for their advice, and for their stars. Because he's the one that made them. You know? So, if we're going to look at think positive thoughts, do two walk together except that they make an appointment and have agreed? Enough can never be said about the power of being positive. God is positive. And if you and I want to flow with him, we must get on the same wavelength and begin to think positively. And I'm not talking about exercising mind control, but simply about being an all-around positive person because that just becomes a lifestyle. And then people can pick up on that. You know, they, they look forward to seeing you if you share that positivity everywhere you go. You have an outlook and attitude that maintains positivity, then you can engage in positive conversation just about everywhere you go. I mean, and we're in and out of a lot of places, a lot of public places every day, and that's exactly what we do. And they look forward to seeing us. And unfortunately, they're going to miss us, you know, when we're not there. But I, I understand that. Um, in the midst of all the negatives that Jesus went through, you know, being deserted by his disciples when he needed the most, being made fun of, being lonely, misunderstood, and the host of other discouraging things. He may, maintained a positive attitude through the whole thing. Didn't speak when he could have. I can call 10,000 angels and didn't. He knew the path that he was supposed to take. Father, let this cup pass from me. How often we can say that too. Uh, you know, and no matter how tough it gets, yet we hear about the people that are praying throughout the world that are being persecuted by governments, authorities, people trying to take them out. Look at Israel, you know, uh, what happened during the Holocaust. There's, there's people that are trying to terminate believers in whatever fashion for control because they want to maintain power. They have no power. It's just like what Hebrews says, you know, in, thir- in chapter 13, it says, you know, what can mortal man do to me? There is nothing. Destroy this earthly coil. My last breath here is my first breath in heaven. That's the reassurance we need to go with everywhere we are. The second thing that we need to have after going over all the depressive thoughts that we had last week, because these are the things, identifying the nature and cause of the problem. If you have, you know, we don't want anybody to suffer through depression, Lord knows. Uh, and recognize that depression steals life and thought. Uh, Psalms 143, we were going over heavily. Uh, For the enemy has pursued and persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life down to the ground. He has made me to dwell in dark places as those have been long dead. Uh, dwelling in dark places will definitely bring bring you down. And... You can't keep the light if you're going to live in darkness. How deep is that darkness if you have any in your soul? So you want to try to maintain as much light as possible. Not saying that clinical depression doesn't happen. And not saying that people can't be helped by what medicine or psychologists provide. But the Lord can heal all. Recognize that depression steals life and light. Our spirit, empowered and encouraged by God's spirit, is powerful and free. Remember the good times. You concentrate on the good times and it overflows over the bad because usually people are always in a scale of how good is my life or how bad is my life. And they try to, we try to maintain balance of some sort. If we concentrate too hard on one side or the other, we can become unbalanced and that 
does terrible things to our mind and to our surroundings and to the people we love. And unfortunately, that is not good for anybody. So if we want to remember the good times to try to overbalance the bad when bad stuff happens, because it always does. We live in a fallen world. So if you remember the good times, then you can bring yourself up from almost anything. Remember, David encouraged himself after his worst defeat. He was almost getting stoned, and he, was, he encouraged himself. Praise the Lord in the midst of the problem. That is always, always important. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In Jeremiah 2.13, the Lord says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, which we just talked about, and they have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which cannot hold water. We know we can be flowing, living water each and every day. It is renewed from the source. The fifth thing we need to do is ask for God's help. Prayer is the key. Asking for God's help allows us to understand that... Well, let's look at Mark 11, 22 through 24. Then Jesus said to disciples, have faith in God. In some, it says, have the faith of God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. The doubt is what terminates everything. That belief and that power that we can have in prayer accomplishes all things. We can say to that mountain of doubt, fear, turmoil, grief, and we can cast it into the sea. So ask for God's help, and then listen to the answer. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for on you do I lean, and in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my inner self to you. Psalms 143.8. How can you go wrong? Pray for deliverance. When you're weak and downtrodden, Always pray for deliverance. Ask him for help. Get out from underneath it and pray. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I flee to you to hide me. Seek God's wisdom, his leadership, and knowledge in every way possible by opening the book. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me into a level country and into the land of uprightness. Perhaps the psalmist is indicating that he's gotten out of the will of God and thus opened the door for the attack on his soul. He wants to be in God's will, for he now realizes that it is the only safe place to be. Isn't that the truth? Then he requests that God help him to be stable. I believe this phrase, lead me into level country, refers to his unsettled emotions. He wants to be level, not up and down. Use your weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical, weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Inasmuch refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we lead every thought and purpose away captive 
into the obedience of Christ. That's being Christ-minded. Be God-minded. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace whose mind is both in its inclination and its character is stayed on you because he commits himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. Isaiah 26.3. So, number four, the second thing we must do is have the mind of Christ and be God-minded. Jesus had a continual fellowship with his Father all the time. He was seeking that re-energizing strength every time he went to pray by himself. And the only time he was separated was at the cross, where God unfortunately turned his back on him for a moment so he could give that sacrifice to us and die for us. 2 Corinthians 10.5 reminds us to cast down every negative imagination and bring our thoughts into the obedience of Christ. I love this, meditating on God and his works. There's some great stuff here. I will meditate also upon all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Hallelujah. How strengthening is that, folks? To always know that he's there and his words are empowerment for us in every walk of life. Number six, 2 Corinthians, okay, thoughts. Okay, a third thing we can do is have a Christ-like mind because be a God-loves-me-minded. And we now understand, recognize, and are conscious of by observation, by experience, and belief, adhere to, and put faith in, rely on, the love God cherishes for us. God is love, and he who dwells and continues in love dwells and continues in God, and God dwells and continues in him. 1 John 4.16 Knowing that God loves us no matter what gives us the power and authority that we can use to stomp on serpents and scorpions and every power of the enemy because his love is permanent. And we are permanent. We need to hear more often that our lives are eternal. You know, that eternity mindset is in any of all of our DNA. And we understand that this mortal thing may die but it's just a tent for our spirit, and our spirit goes to heavenly places. It sits there right now. Isn't that wonderful? You know, when you're born again in Jesus, you're sitting with him in heavenly places. We just are his feet, and we carry out his plan for us as we walk that narrow path. We need to receive God's love. Few people completely understand and comprehend God's love for them. Romans eight thirty-five through 39 describes this unconditional love. Who shall ever separate us from Christ's love? Shall suffering and affliction and tribulation or calamity and distress or persecution or hunger, destitution or peril or sword? Then verse 37, he goes on to say, you have 37, don't you, Jim? Yeah, 837. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Hallelujah. That's what it's all about. If we know we're never separated... How can we walk in any other direction?
you should have a righteousness consciousness. Because we've already went over, we should have that kind of mindset because our Lord was made to be sin for us. We don't have to die on a cross. We don't have to suffer the way he suffered. He suffered for us as the propitiation of our sins. He took them away. We need not fear. We need not doubt. We need not challenge. We need to follow and obey because we have been bought with the highest price ever paid. And it's not just our generation, it's every generation before us and every generation that's after us as long as he tarries, which I don't think is going to be long. But we must occupy until that day comes. Righteousness is just the right standing with God. Everybody says, you know, are you righteous? And everybody goes, oh, no, not me. I couldn't consider myself righteous. There's none righteous. No, not one. Then you don't read your Bible very well. Because we were made to be the righteousness of God through him who sacrificed for us. With that kind of power and authority, there is no question that needs to come into your mind about who you belong to and who you are. That's whose we are is more important than any who we could ever become. this deal with righteousness you know of course he is our righteousness but uh it, it it's there's a place in revelation where it says that there was given to them white robes and and uh those white robes it says are the righteous acts of the saints so there is a righteousness that we're supposed to walk out you know in in true holiness and and do the works of god jesus said he who believes in me the works that i do he shall do also. Amen? And even greater things. Amen. There is a righteousness that just involves action. Of course. That action is just like what he told Nicodemus. You must be born again. That action starts the path of that work that he does in us. Because we have to be doers of the word, not hearers only. That work that he does through us and in us is that constant building upon the cornerstone that is what the entire building is built on. And if we, as long as we stand on the rock, no rain, no flood, no tribulation can come near us because surely in this life you will have tribulation, but be of good heart. For I have overcome the world. If Jesus can say that to his disciples and to us that follow after him, there is no reason to ever have any kind of mindset other than what he has given us. The next thing we have to have, and this starts part 11, folks, if you want to join in. The fourth thing we must do have to have the mind of Christ is to have an exhortative mind. He who exhort encourages to his exhortation is Romans 12.8. The person with the mind of Christ thinks positive, uplifting, edifying thoughts about other people as well as about himself and his own circumstances. You know, I was always taught when I was a kid, you know, you put God, everyone else, and then self. That's what I learned in Christian school. 
to always put myself last. And then, unfortunately, I took that to the extreme, thinking that I needed to be a people pleaser to get people to play with me or to be my friend. I would do anything for this person, compromise anything for that person, do anything I could to get in that group or this group. I became multifaceted, very malleable, no self. I had lost everything about myself. I had given it away freely to the point that there was just a husk until I met her. And thinking that even a marriage or even a life partner that we can have, like what Terry and Pam have or what you and Bonnie have, you know, this life partner that we have for forever, let no man put asunder because God has brought us together. And I, there's so many challenges to finding a good life mate. But when Jesus is involved, when Jesus comes into play, when Jesus puts his two cents in, it grows to a place that we never thought possible. Because for 26 years, we searched every possible avenue for filling what was always lacking until we found it in God. And to have someone that joins you in every thought and every practice and prays with you and feels with you just like the body of Christ is supposed to because that's exactly what he's talking about when we are his bride and he's coming back for us. That's what he's talking about. He wants to have that same kind of relationship with us. He died for us to have a relationship with us. He didn't want to create religion. He wanted to create a relationship. So we must exhort him and put him above everything else. That's the mindset of having an exhortative mind. We want to encourage others. Vine's expository dictionary of Old and New Testament words defines Greek word parakaleo. Exhort comes from the Greek word parakaleo, which means to admonish or encourage one to pursue some course of conduct. That is what we need to do just by our outlook. Why is your countenance so downtrodden? We should be in joy all the time. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Our compassion for others should know no bounds. Because we know these are all God's children. We know that everywhere we look, we're seeing people that are falling off the brink. Just like he was talking about Sunday, you know going to fall off the brink. We want to snatch them back to the, from the edge. That's what our job is. We must encourage people to understand that this is the truth, the way, and the life. Because Jesus is the Word. Everyone has enough problems already. We, didn't, we don't need to add to their problems by tearing them down. Our words are supposed to be used to encourage and edify and exhort and to build people up, not tear them down. There's enough, there's enough negativity throughout the world to do that. We need to look at our fellow man and say, let me show you the way. Let me show you who really cares. Let me show you the love that knows no bounds. Let me show you 
how you can renew yourself each and every day. This way. This Jesus died for you. And he rose again so you can have a pathway to eternity. Come with me. As you begin to think lovely thoughts about people, you will find them behaving in a more lovely manner. Anyone can learn to be an encourager. The ministry gift of exhortation can be found in Romans 12.8. We already talked about that. He who exhorts encourages to exhortation. Everyone can encourage. We are not walking in the word if our thoughts are opposite of what it says. We are not walking in the word if we are not thinking in the word. You know, that was one of the most wonderful things that I could possibly have happen to me. Once I started feeding on the word, I used to think in cuss words. Now I think in scripture. I can't even describe how wonderful that is. Because I always had a good vocabulary. You know, I've, I've studied a little bit. You know, I went to college. But Scripture has been the most fulfilling thing because this book, it reads you. It tells you what kind of heart to have. It tells you that you can wear the breastplate of righteousness and protect that heart. You can hold up the shield of faith, and you don't ever have to worry about the fiery darts of the enemy. You can walk in the shoes of peace. I fought for peace my entire life and never discovered it until my feet found my way here. Yeah. Amen. I can't tell you how many people I've ministered to. You know, they're sick or they're depressed. They've got alcoholic problems or whatever it is. And I say, you got to read the Bible. Yeah. They'll pray. They'll start going to church. They'll do everything but read the Bible. I don't understand. And I say, look, you can go to church every day. That's not gonna, it's not going to renew your mind and your thinking like getting in that Bible and reading it and the living word coming into your spirit and giving you life. There's no replacement for it. And I don't know why people just don't want to read it. Well, what I've discovered is that it's, a, it's just a severe lack of understanding of how truly easy the renewed mind can understand what a spiritual book is supposed to say. Because once you truly give of your heart and you say, Lord, this is my life, do something with it. He creates a hunger in you that cannot be sated by anything else but the word of God. That is where it happened for me. Because like when I gave my testimony first on this stage three years ago, I said... 
I carried one of these around for 35 years. It was great gathering dust on my shelf. Always thought it was just some sort of like massive book that told stories that I had heard about some when I was a kid. David and Goliath, Samson, you know, the big ones. My mom was always a big fan of Abram, you know. Now I know why. But, and of course, creation. You know, those things, those basics that you learn, and you think that you know God. You think you understand that God is with you. You know, I was dedicated at two months old. I thought, hey, I'm on the inside track, you know. But to never know what it truly says about you, you as a person, you as an individual, you as who God made you, because it's a broad spectrum that is singular and personal. Because yes, he's talking about people that existed thousands of years ago, but you can correspond in your own mind, in your heart, how you relate to those individuals. How can you relate to Samuel or Daniel or David? Be a man after God's own heart. Don't take second place. You're his favorite. You're his picture on his refrigerator. Don't take second place. Encourage yourself and know that God loves you he is there for encouragement. He's there for belief. He's there for understanding. He's there to bring you out of the deepest, darkest pits because his hand is always outstretched. He's grasping for you, and you're wandering around in darkness going, where are you, Lord? And until you find the key, until you open up the word and hear him say, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, is going to find their way. Walk the narrow path. I have walked every other path in this tributary forest that I live in, and none has been more clear, more concise, more permanent, more appreciating than the path that I walk now. Because I have, my dead self, did every kind of debauchery known to man, short of murder. And I can say now today that get thee behind me, Satan, because that person doesn't exist anymore because I am a new creature. And each one of us can have that same kind of peace, that same kind of love, that same kind of penetrating, fulfilling, uplifting, soar to the ceiling kind of love that only Christ can give. He is our Savior. Get on the bandwagon. That's what having a thankful heart and thankful mind means. Be thankful. Be grateful. Because he gave us a pathway out of this miry clay into heaven, people. And we can know 
that we know that we know because we can feel it. We don't have to worry about feelings because they're, they're transitioning all the time. We can go up and down, up and down, up and down. But if you want to maintain an even keel of joy, no matter what the circumstances, you hold on to what this says, and you never have to worry or stress or pleat because we're sheep. You know, we never have to think about anything else than our next step because he only gives us one day at a time and it's the same length of time that everybody gets every day. And this next step is guided by God because we submit every one of our ways to him and he will guide our paths. His word is like the song said, a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Once we trust in him with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, it's easy. But we're all self-important. How arrogant is man? That's the problem, is people don't want to be thankful. They don't want to have a thankful heart. They want to have a greedy heart, which is idolatry. Remember that. Greed runs the world, but we are not. We exist as long as this tent stays and we want to try to save and help lead anybody we possibly can to the narrow path because broad is the way that's going to lead to destruction. And narrow is the gate that leads to eternity and love and peace that we can enjoy now. Complaining in thought or word, is death. But being thankful and saying so is a life principle. Don't open the door. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't be a complainer. I'm not sure how adept you are in, in Exodus, but Korah was a complainer. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, he died for it. I know. All the, yeah, all of them were complainers. They had to wander around till they all died. And that's, that's what you get. You know, it's, it's no matter what happens in this life. And, and people have been through agony, guys. Don't, I mean, don't sell short anybody's agony. But always remember that just like all of us, here recently even, you know, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And it all depends on where your mind is. Because if it's set on God, you never have to worry or stress about anything in this life. I'd rather sacrifice my thanksgiving to God than sacrifice my joy to Satan. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. That's great. Through him, therefore, let us constantly and at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of which is the fruit of lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. All the glory in everything we do needs to go to God. Everything. You know, it's so wonderful to not work. We go to work, and we're working for God. <laughs> we don't work for that boss who appreciates us or not. Well, you get the mindset that you're working for God, and every day is a happy day. It's wonderful. <laughs> Expressing appreciation 
which is number 10, is not only good for the other person, but it also is good for us because it releases joy in us. When you appreciate your fellow man and appreciate the God in them because God created them, it's wonderful because they appreciate being appreciated. And it's not some sort of sedentary thing like how many likes you get, you know, on Facebook or anything else because I'm not really a big fan, <laughs> you know. But it isn't about that. It's about the personal relationships you have with yourself, your close friends, the ones that really love you, and God. Because God really loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not up there with a fly swatter saying, don't do that. He's saying, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's what he's saying. Every day, all the time. Suffer the little children. Let them come to me. That's all we are, folks, is little kids that want to be in his flock. Because we are the sheep that he guides with his rod and his staff. And he is a comfort to us. We dwell in his secret place of the Most High, under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. And he will protect us from everything. No calamity, no pestilence will come near our tent. How can we not trust in that? That's all in here. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20 gives us good instructions on how to stay filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's read that one second out loud. Ephesians 5 is great stuff. I didn't put that on my list. I just happened to have a wonderful word of God up here. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, out of the Amplified, says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Forever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. Speak out to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, offering praise with voices and instruments and making melody with all your heart to the Lord. At all times and for everything, giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father and be subject to one another, helping one another out of reverence for Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. All these different mindsets that we discuss out of this book are all drawing one conclusion that we are not powerless, we are powerful. There's no reason to lose the battle of the mind at any time because our mind belongs to our Father in heaven. And through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, He made all this happen for us. We had to do nothing but where He put us at this particular time because he saw us before the beginning of the world. Let that down deep in your soul. You're supposed to be here. And it was by his choice, not by your father's choice or your mother's choice 
or lack thereof. Sometimes we are just supposed to be here. And for such a time as this is when it's important to know that we have every tool that we need to win the battle every day. This is all the power, all the authority, all the love, all the joy, all the strength that we need is right here. I wanted to share a little prayer we received in the mail today. This is from Kenneth Copeland Ministries. We're members of his church and love him very dearly. He's definitely spreads the word as and as long as most any of us out here, you know. And he believes and this is so wonderful. And it goes right along with it. I think faith and love thoughts. Philippians four eight through nine. We already went over the four eight principle, so Heavenly Father, I recognize that what I think about most and what I speak, I become. For as a man speaks, as a man thinks, as a man feels, what's in his heart, he is. Therefore, I choose to only think and speak words of faith and love. As real, unfeigned faith in you rises in my heart and in my mind, I know I can do whatever you say I can do according to your covenant with me. That covenant was set in blood, folks. That covenant is the covenant that we share with our Lord Jesus. We're co-heirs with him. What kind of place in history do we have Every morning I wake up and I say, thank you, Lord, for this day, and today I choose to stand in the victory that is mine because of the finished works of my Lord Jesus. I put on and stand strong in the armor that you have made available to me through praying in the Holy Spirit. And I declare that no weapon formed against me will prosper, and I will overcome every attack of the enemy. In Jesus' name, Amen. Get it into your soul, folks. Learn it, live it, know it, believe it. Because whosoever believes will have eternal life. Folks, go be salt and be light and be blessed. Thank you so much.